It's time. We are not called to be nice. Sandy Rios, welcome Sandy, thanks for being here. We are often called to be confrontational. And here with me in DC is Fox News contributor Sandy Rios. You and you still like me or you or you don't like me, James? Are you okay? You're all right. <laughs> I'm a musician, I can't help it. Uh, longtime Fox News contributor Sandy Rios, thanks very much for being with us. We have, I think it's four to one youth in America wants gay marriage. Our kids are the product of public schools. No wonder they poll the way they do. It's time to stand up or we're going to lose everything we have. Director of Governmental Affairs for the American Family Association. Step up, speak up, say something, do something. This isn't a game. This is real life. Sandy Rios is with the American Family Association. A pro-life radio talk show host. Some things are worth fighting for. The Biden administration has this under control. It will take, it is change and it'll take some time, but it is values-based, humanitarian in its aspects, pragmatic in how to, with a plan to get things done. That's the Speaker of the House, Stacey Pelosi. The Biden administration has all of this under control. And the, this she's talking about is the border. It's all under control. And meanwhile, the Department of Health uh, the Department of Homeland Security Secretary is saying that the border is closed, but children won't be expelled. Well, first of all, that's a lie. The border is not closed. Uh, they say that we have as much, we have like an invasion coming in every single day, thousands, and they're actually moving them. Some of you in Dallas and around Houston, uh, they're moving them into stadiums uh, to house, to take care of, and uh, COVID is breaking out, sometimes as much as 10%. Uh, in one facility, there's supposed to be tons of COVID, like a real outbreak, not just in, not just you know positive tests. So, uh, but meanwhile, the Speaker of the House is overseeing the passage of two immigration bills. Oh, not to stop everything on the border, because of course the Biden administration has everything under control. Not to worry, nothing about that. No, these two separate bills that they passed on Thursday evening were HR six, the American Dream and Promise Act. Uh, that's nine, nine Republicans voted with the Democrats. Remember that lots of Republicans have been really bad on this open border business uh, because they represent big business interests and big business wants cheap labor. That's the quickest way I know how to explain it. And so um, nine Republicans voted with the Democrats on the, the H.R. American Dream and Promise Act, and that's uh, give uh, citizenship to the, the uh, DREAMers. And more, and their beneficiaries. That's just the simple way. We'll do a link, a more lengthy interview on what's actually happening on this. But I just want to give you an overview. Also, they passed the second one, the Farm Workforce Modernization Act, uh, which would allow farm workers and their families to uh, be here and stay and get some benefits of uh, legal uh, residency. And so they're busy at work, you know, working on immigration, just not helping the American people who are now overwhelmed. Uh, being put in harm's way, not only by the cartels on the border with the ranches, uh, the human trafficking, uh, the children who at one facility I read they can't even they they can't even assure that the drinking water is decent. Uh, they're very concerned about that. But hey, listen, they're they're all over it. The Biden administration has it under control. Don't forget because Nancy Pelosi has said so. Why are so many people coming across the border? Well, interestingly enough, ABC did an interview with. Uh, some of the people coming across Martha Raddatz was is the voice that you're going to hear. And just listen to the ending of it, because she asks this one gentleman who speaks good English, why did you come across? Let's listen. 
This significant surge coming after President Biden ended Donald Trump's so-called remain in Mexico policy, requiring asylum seekers to wait there for their court proceedings. Since then, many of those tent cities along the Mexican border have emptied out as people start streaming in. We were there when a bus of 56 asylum seekers arrived at Casa Alitas, a Catholic charity shelter in Tucson. Men, pregnant women and children stepping off the bus with only what they could carry. This father, who asked that we not show his face, traveled to Mexico from Brazil with his wife and three young kids before crossing the border. Would you have tried to do this when Donald Trump was president? Definitely not. Definitely. We had the chance, you know, the, the same violence that is going on today was there last year. We used to watch the, the news and uh, I definitely won't do this. So did you come here because Joe Biden was elected president? Basically, basically. Uh, the main thing was the violence in my country. And the second thing I think was Joe Biden. I, you know, uh, it's like uh, letting up my hope. You know what I mean? Director Diego Pina Lopez has seen a steady uptick. I think right now we're we're going to be dealing with fixing years of politics. All right. So, but uh, he came because of Joe Biden because Joe Biden, uh, you know, had promised that uh, you know they could come and he had invited them to come. And if you don't believe that, if you think maybe he's mistaken and you wonder why all of the immigrants, so many of the kids, have. Uh, Joe Biden's name and his image and his name on their T-shirts. Uh, it's maybe because in 2019, this is what candidate Joe Biden had to say. Clip 10. I would, in fact, make sure that there is, we immediately surge to the border. All those people are seeking asylum. They deserve to be heard. That's who we are. We're a nation that says if you want to flee and you're fleeing oppression, you should come. Okay, so that's why they came, and uh, they heard it, and they came, and so that's why they're flooding the borders. But not to worry, Nancy Pelosi is telling us that the Biden administration has it all under control. Nothing to see here. Just because we don't know who's coming across, because we know that people are coming from all over the world, they're paying the cartels as much as $30,000 to come from places that are on our uh, terrorist lists. Uh, we don't know who's coming across, and we they're disappearing, and we don't know. And I'm telling you, uh, the results of this, the nightmare of this for the American people is something that we will see. It's not going to be hidden. It's hidden right now. We're not hearing too much about it. We're hearing from the ranchers. You know, their properties are being overrun, and uh, their families are being put in danger. But, you know, it's just those ranchers, and they're probably, you know, they might be Republicans, so it doesn't really matter, you know, they're— they're troublemakers, and they're violent. You know, they're uh, insurrectionists, those Trump supporters. So the ranchers are not to be regarded, and I'm not sure who is to be regarded except for the ruling class who wants more people from other countries to come in, be legalized, be able to vote, so that the uh, coup d'etat, the complete takeover of the United States and transformation to a socialized, I'd say, slash communistic country can be complete. That's really what's happening here. It's as simple as that. We've been telling you that. I know you believe that, You, those of you who listen to me, but we've been trying to tell the American people that for some time, but they just won't listen. We've been trying to tell Republicans, like Lindsey Graham, who's been one of the worst Republicans on this. We've almost had amnesty, blanket amnesty, for millions of, of American illegal immigrants in this country. We've stopped it so many times. I had a frontline seat. All the times we had to fight Republicans on this, 
And now this is what's happening, and some Republicans are still cooperating. And so um, we need to remember that if and when we ever have another free and fair election, we have to remember uh, what they did on this uh, so and what they didn't do. All right, I want to talk a lot today about what happened in Alaska last uh, Thursday and Friday. It was a, a very big meeting. It was the first time that the Biden administration had sat down with the Chinese communist uh, to talk about, well, you know, talk. We're going to talk about that because it really was, uh, from the perspective of people who understand what really took, went down in that place, a disaster. And I'm going to bring that to you. We'll have a Chinese expert with us in just a few minutes. Uh, the Chinese, uh, on our own soil, humiliated uh, our delegation and um, powered up on them in a way that is very dangerous. And to, a- to the Asian mind, of course, that's, uh, that's domination, and it means weakness on our part, which is exactly what they saw and what they knew about. And they claimed dominance, and they got away with it. So we're going to talk about that in just a minute. But uh, this, uh, another thing that happened over the weekend was that uh, Vladimir Putin has take- taken his ambassador out of Washington. Why did he do that? Because... Joe Biden did an interview with ABC's George Stephanopoulos and talked about how tough he had been with Putin in the past, called Putin a murderer, and a lot of other things. So Putin had a lot of responses to that. But the thing I want to draw your attention to is an article by Mike McCormick in the National Pulse. Mike was with Joe Biden and Vladimir Putin in 2011 in Moscow. That's when Joe was vice president under Joe um, Barack Obama. And he was right there. He was five feet away because he was the stenography for the event. And so this is what he writes, because I want you to, I just want you to hear, uh, we're desperate for truth, aren't we? We're desperate for truth. And I think Mike is speaking it. So let me read this. He said, um, the title is Putin Humiliated Biden in Moscow Meeting. And um, Joe Biden, Mike says, is lying about his 2011 dealings with Vladimir Putin in Moscow. And the Russian president isn't putting up with it. I know this because I was an eyewitness to the events of that day. Events that Washington, D.C.'s media have failed to press Biden on and that give an extraordinary insight into how our now president was humiliated by his Russian counterparts. Vladimir Putin and his staff sought the almost ritualistic humiliation of then-Vice President Joe Biden, who commanded very little respect on the world stage during his tenure as Veep. If it can be believed, he commands even less now. Ever since that moment, I witnessed Joe Biden and his staffers, with the help of Washington's press corps, spinning the story 180 degrees from how it actually happened. After Biden lied about his prowess with Putin in a sickly, sweet interview with ABC's George Stephanopoulos, Putin pulled his ambassador out of Washington. It's a pretty big move from Putin out of the blocks. Usually, if you fear a nation and its leader, you don't start— by pulling their ambassador. I want to move down a little bit. He said he talks about how Stephanopoulos never pressed Biden on how his son Hunter had was had compromised the administration by his uh, deal with a, for $3.5 million from the former wife of the mayor of Moscow. He mentioned nothing about that, but he goes on to say, I documented what happened uh, with Joe in my book, Joe Biden Unauthorized. Um, so then it, let me go down to talk about I can't actually read the title because it's a little bit vulgar. Uh, But he said, uh, this is his story. As Joe Biden's White House stenographer, I stood directly behind Putin at a distance of five feet. Biden, seated across from Putin at an elegant conference table, was about 12 feet from me. 
About 10 minutes into the meeting, Vice President Biden attempted to start lecturing about his decades-old part in U.S.-Russian negotiations with the dreaded phrase, I've been around a long time, the first time I was here, and cut. Joe Biden got about one sentence further into that spiel when off went his microphone, off went the lights for the TV cameras, and stern Russian voices were commanding the press to leave. And leave they did. They went out quickly and efficiently, with video cameras popping off of, off of tripods, equipment snapping shut, portable lights clattering down retractable poles. No one spoke, and no one dared linger. This was Putin in all his KGB ruthlessness. Whether by some prearranged signal or simply an undisclosed time limit, he had pulled the plug and done the unthinkable. He'd stolen Joe Biden's audience and rendered him speechless, shut him down in mid-sentence with the flick of an invisible switch. Across the table, I could see the Vice President of the United States, Joe Biden, in the now dimly lit room, looking as duped as an exhausted fish in the bottom of a boat. No protest, no complaint, no, hey, I wasn't finished, nothing. He was humiliated. The Russian president and his delegation sat calmly and coldly as their American counterparts realized their blustery leader's big moment had been stolen right out from under him. The most powerful man in Russia had neither fear nor respect for Joe Biden. He had just played him with him for sport. Now, I, that may sound uh, exaggerated to you, but I can tell you, um, just from Bill Ge Bob Gates, who was the uh, National Security Advisor, National Defense Secretary, Defense Secretary under Barack Obama. Uh, he wrote a, a book after he left office, and he said that Joe Biden was wrong on every foreign policy decision ever. Joe Biden was always wrong. I'm just telling you, this is who we placed our lives in. But I would say, you know, there are no bad icky tweets. Remember that. Aren't you, aren't you glad? Uh, we don't have any of this uh, foreign, uh, bl this... Uh, abhorrent bluster with foreign leaders that actually caused them to stop trying to attack us like Kim Jong-un, who is now, you know, rearing his head again, uh, blustering a little bit now that he smells, you know, weakness in the water. But what happened with the Chinese, who are our number one, that's our number one threat. Russia isn't. Uh, nevertheless, it's a very dangerous position to be in, a weak, weak position before these leaders of the world who are strong and they are bullies and they have the power to do something. And we are responding in complete weakness. And I will demonstrate that in a second uh, when we talk about what happened in Alaska just last week. Sandy Rios in the morning on AFR Talk. Hey, it's Michael Woolworth with Bible League International. You know, it was 110 degrees in Ethiopia, Africa. Hundreds had gathered for Sunday worship outdoors, and I learned that some had walked an hour or more just to be there. Afterwards, I met Cademan, hunched over a table and frantically copying scriptures from an Amharic language Bible to a lined piece of paper. Then his face turned sad as he closed the Bible and handed it back to its rightful owner. Only a few in that church to have a Bible. You see, Cademan loves the Lord, leads his family, is faithful at worship, but he's never read a single verse in his own Bible because he does not own one. While we in America can open our Bibles every day, nine of ten Christians in parts of Africa are denied God's Word. And that's why Bible League is focused right now on Africa, the place in the world where Christianity is growing in the greatest numbers. A Bible can be sent for $5. $50 will send 10. Learn how you can be a blessing by calling 800 Yes Word. 800 Yes Word or by visiting sendbiblesnow.org. That's sendbiblesnow.org. 
This is Pause to Pray, a chance to stop down from the daily noise of life and pray for our country's leaders. Today we pray for Stacy Dean, Deputy Administrator for the Food and Nutrition Service. Her office works to increase nutrition assistance for struggling families and individuals. Genesis 9-3 reminds us of God's blessings of food. Every moving thing that lives shall be food for you. And as I give you the green plants, I give you everything. Right now with this in mind, would you pray with me? Dear God, we ask for guidance for Stacy Dean as she works to improve food and nutrition. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Pause to Pray is a service of this station and the Presidential Prayer Team. Pray with us as we lift up each state's freshman senators and representatives as part of our 2021 Bold Initiative. Beside our leaders daily. Learn more at pausetopray.org. Hello Americans, I'm Todd Starnes with news and commentary next. Virginia teachers, take the lead in education with up to 64% off your graduate degree at Liberty University. This year has forced you to innovate, adapt, overcome, and you've not only risen to the challenge, you've crushed it. Now help education emerge from this crisis stronger than ever with your MAT or MED degree. Our transfer-friendly degree programs are 100% online and start as low as $282 per credit hour. It's our thanks for all you do for our future. To learn more, text TEACHER to 49595. That's TEACHER to 49595. The new editor-in-chief at Teen Vogue is now the former editor-in-chief at Teen Vogue. Alexi McCammon lost her job because of something she did more than a decade ago as a teenager. She posted messages on Twitter back then that some considered to be offensive to Asian Americans. The 27-year-old journalist was outed by Teen Vogue staffers. She apologized, but the cancel culture movement is not about apologies. It's about vengeance. And if you are a parent, you need to delete your child's social media accounts right now. It's just too dangerous. The cancel culture mob is literally cataloging everything you post on Instagram, TikTok, Facebook, Twitter, and they are out for social justice. In other words, something your seven-year-old does on TikTok could literally ruin the rest of his life. This is the new reality in America, a nation ruled by digital dictators. I'm Todd Starnes. Don't forget to connect with Sandy Rios in the morning on Facebook or email Sandy at Sandy at AFR.net. That's Sandy at AFR.net. Sandy Rios in the morning on American Family Radio. Well, it was a very important meeting, and it took place in Anchorage, Alaska, and many people were surprised that America would allow uh, the Chinese communists to come to our soil when we've uh, they've made no concessions whatsoever in the things that we've been challenging them on. And so... It was a strange kind of occurrence in the first place. Uh, But it was the Secretary of State, Antony Blinken, and White House National Security Advisor, Jake Sullivan. They met with Chinese Foreign Minister Wang Yi and senior foreign policy official uh, Yang Zhixi uh, in Anchorage, Alaska. It happened on Thursday. The agreement was that they would each open with two minutes, the two-minute opening statements, but it didn't quite go that way. The Americans made their opening statement and then uh, Yang Zhichi had a lot to say, and I want you to just get a taste of it. Let's listen. Our administration uh, is committed to leading with diplomacy, to advance the interests of the United States, and to strengthen the rules-based international order. We'll also discuss our deep concerns with actions by China, including in Xinjiang, Hong Kong, Taiwan, cyber attacks on the United States, economic coercion toward our allies. Each of these actions threaten 
the rules-based order that maintains global stability. That's why they're not merely internal matters and why we feel an obligation uh, to raise these issues uh, here today. Uh, I said that the United States relationship with China will be competitive where it should be, collaborative where it can be, adversarial where it must be. We do not seek conf conflict, but we welcome stiff competition, and we will always stand up for our principles, for our people, and for our friends. We look forward to discussing all of these matters with you in the hours ahead. Thank you. Uh, thank you very much. Um, given, uh, hold, hold on one second, please. Hold on one second. Mr. Director, uh, State Councilor, um, given your extended remarks, permit me please to add uh, just a few of my own before we get down to, to work. And I know Mr. Sullivan may have a few things to say as well. Um, All right, I'm going to interrupt to because you, that's not exactly the clip I expected. The, the interpreter goes on to say what happened was uh, that the a Chinese spokesperson, who's known, I think, as the 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 wolf, he has a nickname because he's so the tiger, the wolf, uh, really landed on America in a very tough way. He talked about Black Lives Matter. He talked about all the unrest, how people here are not happy with our democracy, and we have no right to uh, ask China to do anything and to interfere with their internal policies. Uh, and uh, basically, we are no longer the leader on the world stage. So it was very threatening. He went on for, I think, 17 minutes. He was supposed to talk for two. He went on for 17 minutes. And the response by our team, Anthony Blinken and Jake Sullivan, was just nothing. They sat and listened to the entire thing. Now, that's my setup on it. But our next guest is an expert because uh, Dana Chang is the senior editor of China News for the Epoch Times. And I've told you about the Epoch Times. It has really become... Uh, one of the most, the best sources of information uh, for all of us that um, I guess see the world uh, clearly. As far as I'm concerned, I would describe it that way. But uh, Dr. Chang, thanks for joining us this morning. Well, thank you for inviting me. Uh, uh, Dana, uh, now you are you from mainland China? Is that your home base or Hong Kong? Yes, I'm from mainland China. Yes. Uh, all right. And so, um, where do you live in mainland now, or do you live in the United States? Uh, um, I have been citizen of the United States for many years. Okay, okay. All right, good. All right, well, I just wanted to understand, you know, your position here before we talked. Um, you have a Ph.D. in what? What's your Ph.D. in? Uh, in physics. I got in, my Ph.D. in the United States, uh, physics. Uh, in physics. Oh, okay. All right. Well, let's don't talk about physics because that would be a short conversation with me. <laughs> we better talk about U.S.-China <laughs> relations. <laughs> now, I already pretty much laid out uh, very, however awkwardly, what, um, how I saw, at least in very short uh, comments there, what happened on Thursday and Friday in uh, Anchorage. I would really love to know, Dana, what you thought about the interaction, your thoughts about it. Okay. First of all, uh, Yang Jiechi 
um, spoke for 17 minutes. And that's the first uh, indication to say we're not going to follow the rule. So Americans talk about the rule-based order, and China is saying we're not going to follow the rule. And indeed, in the past several decades, China has grown tremendously because it has repeatedly, constantly, strategically um, broken the rule, and they have taken advantage of that. Okay, and then second, Yang Jiezi talked without um, interpretation, without translation, and that's to show to Xi Jinping and the Chinese people that we are very strong in front of America. Because Communist Party always um, lives in a kind of a with insecurity. It's not elected by Chinese people. It's not supported by Chinese people. It's imported from Soviet Union. It's not part of Chinese culture. They always feel insecure. So this kind of a uh, setting is a perfect opportunity for them to show Chinese people and to show Xi Jinping that, oh, China is at an equal level with America, and we can rival America. And you know, I so think, that's very important. Dana, I think uh, one thing that Americans uh, need to understand, you, you've alluded to this, but uh, in Asian culture, in all kinds of Asian culture, there's the concept of face and presentation. And so can you kind of tell us, from the Chinese perspective, you did sort of, but please say further what they were doing. What were they, it may or may not be related to reality in terms of their own their strength uh, compared to America's strength, but what, what were they trying to do in that moment? Uh, what, is it, what does it have to do with face? Well, um, they... This is also trying to test whether um, America is strong and will push back. They want to test how far they can go. And so it's not just about the face. It's also like, diplomatically they want to test how far they can go. Mm-hmm. And, and so um, in, among Chinese people, they envy America. They respect America. But communist leaders they want to show their strength so they can rule. And they also see America as the number one enemy because the free world is considered enemy. It's a, it's a threat to its existence. Communist ideology is at the heart of human nature. So any normal society is a threat to them. So they have always seen America as an enemy, number one enemy. So... For America to say, just as you like uh, um, broadcast, for America to say, okay, in some area or cooperate, some area will compete, some some area they are enemy. It doesn't make sense. I think America need to understand what's the nature of communist regime. I don't think America understand. That's well, why it's a mixed thing. Well, I yeah. think uh, what what we would what you you've been here long enough and you you understand Dana what's going on. I think that we would say that some Americans understand very well uh, that President Trump understood very well yeah. 
Uh, but our current regime, our, cur our current government, does not understand, and they really, really embarrassed us. They showed their weakness in spades and put us in tremendous danger. That's my view of it. Uh, I, I, let me, I, I heard just a few days ago in reading uh, that there is a term that the Chinese use to refer to, I believe, I, I believe the, the distinction would be the American left, to the woke culture in America, that there's a, a term. Do you know anything about that? Um, I, I don't know specifically um, what you refer to in, in Chinese as many terms to describe America. <laughs> well, well, I'm talking so about... This time, <laughs> yeah. I'm talking about those people, okay, I'm talking yeah. like the political correctness, like the, uh, uh, the, the, the quotas, like uh, not allowing Chinese to uh, come into universities because of the, they have all these color-based... Uh, distinctions, just the whole notion of seeing, really, honestly, it's employing a lot of, to me, okay. communist techniques. But well, when Americans do it, they, have, they hold disdain for them, is my understanding. In a way, what happened in America, it's, it's similar to what happened in China during the Cultural Revolution. So, so in China, the Cultural Revolution, they destroyed most of the temples destroyed anything they see that's antique, destroyed a lot of the books, classic books. They just destroyed the memory um, that can remind people of the history and the true tradition of the culture. And what is happening here right now um, to Chinese, that's a cultural revolution. And so this time, this, the whole election thing, Yang Jiezi took the opportunity to say, um, you American people have doubts about your democracy system, and you better manage yourself. They they lecturing America. Mm -hmm. They were lecturing yeah. America. Yeah. Would you yeah. agree with some? Some people said that they thought that what they what they put uh, what the Chinese diplomats put Anthony Blinken and Jake Sullivan through was a struggle session, a struggle, a Chinese communist struggle session. Would you agree with that? Mm, mm, yes. Because uh, struggle is at the core of communist ruling. They see everything as a struggle. And so, do you think that they, they actually were using that? You know, actually, Dana, explain, take a second, please, to explain struggle sessions from the Chinese perspective. How were they used during the Cultural Revolution? Okay, struggle is basically like a fight. It means fight. It started with class struggle. So-called class struggle is peasants and workers, they are good people. Landlords and the business owners, they are bad people. So they, they rally the peasants and the workers to have a revolution and overthrow all the business and landlords. They killed millions. At the beginning of communist ruling, they kill millions because they are bad people. So class struggle become like one class is good people, another class is bad people. And along the course, they constantly label certain groups and then persecute them and say that's a class struggle. So class struggle is at the core of the Communist Party. Now here, I see the racist term is similar to class struggle. You just identify a different group and right. against another group is that they create a group opposing 
another group. They create this conflict so that communists can take advantage in that. It's not there. Like, I immigrate to America. America is the least discriminative place I have seen. I have traveled around the world. Yeah, so, so this this mm. whole thing, the racist thing, is remind me of class struggle. You just use one group against another group. Right. Yes. They are right. individual cases, but not a nationwide thing. It's not a fundamentally a problem of the system. But Chinese Communist Party took the opportunity and to say that's your system problem. You know, I. Uh a lot of people say, with what's happening in the United States, with the loss of free speech and what you're just talking about, classes being set, people divided in groups and set against each other and stirring up the trouble. I remember reading um, the autobiography of Mao Zedong uh, many years ago, Dana, and I remember he said that he went to visit the European communist leaders, and that's what he learned from them. And then he went back to China and applied it, and it worked beautifully. And actually, Mao again ended up killing millions of his own people, just like the Russians did the same thing. But people uh, with who, with well, I know a lot about communism, but people with greater knowledge than I say that what they see happening in this country is more like the Chinese model than it is like the Russian model. I don't know if you know much about that or if you can comment on that, but I, I'd love to hear your thoughts if you can. Well, um, yes, actually, uh, China cloned, Chinese Communist Party cloned the um, Soviet Union system uh, to China. And and then right now, uh, China wants to learn from copied American model, not a value, but economic model, so that it has more money and economic strength to sustain the communist ruling. To sustain the communist ruling, not change to the American value system. So that's why at this meeting they say American they despise American value. Okay, yes. so American value does not represent the whole world. That's what Yang Jiechi was saying. So um, my friend like uh, kept saying, we thought China is going to become America, but it seems like America is becoming China. Oh yeah. Yes, in many ways. China yes. has influenced America, and America actually, you know, uh, uh, adopting that consciously or unconsciously. So I well, will agree with that. Yes. Well, I think it's intentional on the part of the Marxists and unintentional on the part of Americans. They're being manipulated, and uh, it's just it's astounding to watch. It really is. I just saw an incredible video of uh, the uh, Inside China of roads and bridges being built. I mean, there was one bridge I saw that had like an expanse of 34 miles, and it's this big, it looks like a western bridge. It's got all the little tiny, like the strands of steel. Um, it's, it was beautiful, the infrastructure. And China is spending millions in, you know, I haven't been to China in a long time, Dana, I think since 2001. So it's been a long time. But even then, it was building everywhere. And we know that they are, their economy has grown incredibly uh, thanks to U.S. dollars, thanks to the trade policies that we've had. But my question for you is, what has that done to the Chinese people? We know uh, it would be good for us to talk about the 
the horrible treatment of, of Uyghurs and uh, the Falun Gong and also Christians. But how about just the other Chinese? Are they, are they getting wealthy because of the money? Are they buying cars? Are they able to use these roads? Is there a middle class growing in China? Well, that's a very good question. Um, the average income of Chinese uh, at this point is the, about the same as Mexico. Um, uh, about of Mexico, and uh, it, is that what yeah, you said, Me- Mexico. Mexico? Okay. Yeah, Mexico. Um, a small group of people get very rich. Majority of Chinese people have a very hard life. Uh, half the Chinese people uh, um, make mm, below, like maybe um, two hundred dollars a month. Wow. Um, so the truth is, it, the truth is, how 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 in the world would they? How in the world can they use all of this? The roads and infrastructure that are being built. Who are these being built for? If the on two hundred dollars a month, you can't buy a car. You can't travel. Who will use these roads? But but you but you have to know that China has a lot more people than America. So even a small group of percentage of people gather the money, that's a lot compared to other countries. Mm. I have to say another thing. Um, the top Chinese leaders, their children, 80-90% of them have a green car or citizenship of America. They themselves don't feel the regime is secure. They feel it can fall apart anytime, the communist regime can fall apart anytime. So they feel more secure by getting a green car and U.S. citizen here. Although most of the time they stay in China and take advantage of the system and make more money. Isn't that interesting? But meanwhile, when you were growing up in China, they, my impression of the times, I think I've been there three or four times. But like I said, the last time mm-hmm. I was there was in twenty. Um, 2001, that's a long time. Uh, but I met with a lot of, uh, at the time, persecuted Christians in the underground church uh, all over China uh, and had incredible encounters and made great friends and really fell in love with the Chinese people, I have to tell you. Uh, but it, it, there were, still, we thought that the persecution was not as bad as it could be. How, do, how have you seen things change from when you were growing up in China? How much worse is it? Um, it has never changed. It only packaged differently. Um, so now there are churches and there are temples, but those leaders are assigned by Communist Party. They make sure they can control. Yeah. So uh, the temples and the churches, you see like CCP flags. So in other words, they, they need to be loyal to Communist Party first. Yes. Uh, you know what, uh, Dana, I, I need to take a commercial yeah. break here. Can you stay with me a little bit longer than we had planned? Have you got 10 min- yes. minutes more? Okay, good. Let's. We're going to sure. take a commercial break, and when we come back, let's continue, because I really do want to know uh, your perspective. I also want to ask you about what you think the chances of us going to war with China are in the near future. Uh, if you think the Chinese are serious about that, uh, I do, but I want to know what you think. My guest is Dr. Dana Cheng. She is the senior editor for China News for the Epoch Times. 
And we can't say enough about the Epoch Times, by the way. It's E-P-O-C-H-T-I-M-E-S. Sandy Rios in the morning, AFR Talk. Dr. James Dobson's Family Talk. Christian parents are on the hook today because they have to identify the threats to the value system uh, that's being taught to their children in public schools. And their job is to protect their kids from these influences. Tune in for Family Talk with Dr. James Dobson. Weekdays at 6.30 a.m. and 9.30 p.m. on American Family Radio. Thank you, everyone, for tuning in to our program. God's blessings to you all. This is a unique moment in the history of our country where we have an opportunity to restore the foundations of this nation. Tony Perkins of Washington Watch. To a nation that once again honors God. It will not happen unless God's people are informed and engaged. Join Tony Perkins for Washington Watch. Weekday afternoons at 4 Central and Saturday evening at 6 Central on American Family Radio. And who knows whether you have come to the kingdom for such a time as this. My name is Abraham Hamilton III, and this is the Hamilton Minute. Esther, a young girl, became queen of the Persian Empire when Israel was subject to Persian rule. A wicked man named Haman tried to get the king to exterminate all Jews. Esther, a Jew herself, was queen when this genocidal conspiracy was brought to bear. But her cousin Mordecai put her royal position in perspective. Perhaps God made you queen for this very moment to intervene on behalf of the Jewish people. Like Esther, perhaps God gave you the platform, position, and influence you have for this very moment to stand against darkness. Perhaps you were born for such a time as this. Listen each weekday from 5 to 6 p.m. Central for The Hamilton Corner with Abraham Hamilton III, public policy analyst for the American Family Association. Ryan Fisher here with the Life and Liberty Minute. The Bible teaches that parents have the God-given authority to raise their children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. But increasingly, the world is rejecting that standard and putting government in charge. Robert Hoogland is the Canadian father of a 14-year-old daughter. In 2019, the Supreme Court of British Columbia ordered his daughter to receive testosterone injections because she thinks she's a boy. This was done without his consent and over his objections. The court also threatened him with punishment if he referred to her as anything other than a boy. Hoogland was arrested and jailed last week for continuing to refer to her as his daughter and using the pronouns she and her. The charge, family violence, if you can believe it. Parents now face punishment for being parents. Catch Brian Fisher on Focal Point, weekday afternoons at 105 Central on American Family Radio. This is Frank Afney with the Secure Freedom Minute. Alejandro Mayorkas is the new Secretary of the Department of Homeland Security. Until yesterday, he was best known for his scandalous misconduct facilitating visas for politically connected Chinese migrants when he was Barack Obama's Director of Customs and Border Protection. After Mayorkas made the rounds of this Sunday's TV talk shows, however, his reputation will be further marred by the spate of lies he told about the border crisis the Biden administration has created. These included denying there is such a crisis and insisting that the border is as secure as under Donald Trump. The truth is the new administration's disastrous and inhumane immigration policy has one overarching objective. 
let in as many prospective Democratic voters as possible. It's no coincidence that Biden and company are simultaneously pushing dangerous legislation through Congress that will enable such illegal aliens to become illegal voters, too. This is Frank Gaffney. Sandy Rios in the morning on American Family Radio. The amount of absolute disrespect that was shown to the United States and the Biden administration was unbelievable. Each side had agreed originally to only a two-minute opening statement. That was the agreed-upon ruling, right? So the U.S. goes up and gives a two-minute statement. Yang Jiechur proceeds to go into a 20-minute tirade, bashing Biden, getting into BLM, getting into U.S. cyber attacks, saying the U.S. has so much division at home that they have no right, right? He was saying that Biden has no right to be able to say anything about China because look at how bad their democracy is at home. Look at how challenged their democracy is. I mean, he called him out. And he just went on and on and on for 20 minutes. He then also said, the U.S. is in no position to discuss the things it's discussing because the U.S. is no longer a world leader. The U.S. is, this is Young Jiechur's statement, the U.S. is disrespected around the world. There is no quality of leadership from the United States. They've been giving face to U.S. leaders, and that means showing respect, giving face to U.S. leaders since the 1970s, right, when Nixon went over. Even the 1960s, actually. It's just something I've never seen. I find myself a little bit speechless because it's actually something I've never seen. Chinese diplomats do not usually talk like this. They put the Biden administration in their place. Tony Blinken was completely outplayed today. He had no way to respond. They put him in a struggle session and he absolutely failed. The CCP put the U.S. Secretary of State the representative of the Biden administration in a international struggle session. And he sat there and took it. China didn't just eat our lunch. China walked up to us, took our lunch out of our hands and ate it in front of us and then wiped their hands and walked away. That's what China just did. They sensed the weakness. They sensed the weakness and they are just, they're all over it. That's the voice of Jack Posobiec. And Jack is a Chinese-speaking intelligence officer. Uh, and you just heard him say he's worked, he's, he knows a lot about China. Uh, he was, I don't know if he was officially with the, uh, the Trump administration, but uh, probably something like that. He's a f- friends of friends of mine. And he was just reflecting on what happened as soon as it had finished. And so those are his initial thoughts. My guest is Dr. Dana Cheng, patiently waiting. She's the senior, senior editor for the China News for the Epoch Times. She grew up in China, mainland China, and uh, it's just been a pleasure to have her, her perspective on what's going on there. Uh, Dana, uh, based on that, Jack kind of, to me, indicated... He said something later on that we didn't play where he talks about uh, we've been concerned about Taiwan. And, of course, we've been concerned about the Chinese invading Taiwan and taking her back. They've always considered her part of China. But he is saying 
that's just to worry, to focus our worries on that is kind of beside the point. That's not the real issue. And I thought the inference was, to me, to my ears, that China's main target is the United States uh, to occupy and actually go to war with. Would you agree with that? And do you think that's, there's any veracity to that? Um, it is true that um, China's main target and main enemy, they said, is America. And that's true. So when they pressure Taiwan, they are act- actually testing U.S. How strong U.S. is? Are you going to back Taiwan? So even the Taiwan issue is actually U.S. and China issue. Yeah. Well, but you didn't answer the question. Uh, and I don't and I maybe you can't. Uh, but do you think China is I, – I, look, I'm familiar with – we've talked about this at the mic – about their genetically altering their soldiers, they are the strength of China militarily is growing by leaps and bounds, and um, they're focusing on preparing for war with someone. Uh, do you think they're serious about going to war with you? This is a perfect time. If they ask my advice, I'd say we have weak leadership. Maybe that's part of what they were testing in Alaska. I just love your thought. Do you think they're serious about doing that? Well, it's possible. The war is possible. If America don't show the strength, the war is possible. Yeah. Uh, that's the way I see it too, Dana. And uh, we just hope and pray that our leaders will wake up or, or we can get these leaders out and get better leaders in. Uh, but meanwhile, let's go back to China inside. And you were talking to me about, uh, you said nothing has really changed, that the control of uh, churches or you know, worship for Muslims or Uyghurs and also for Falun Gong, has, it hasn't changed. You said they've always been controlling them. Yes, yes. So uh, if you read the Bible in their controlled church, it's okay. But if you have a Bible study group in your house, you can be arrested. Yeah, the three, you know, I was in some three self-churches, which was, of course, the state church. And then I also met with a lot of people in the underground church. And you're right, uh, they certainly were, many of them, I met with a a young um, uh, Bible smuggler uh, who had like four children. And I met him one year in Shanghai, and the next year when I went back, he had been almost in in prison almost the entire year. Uh, And I had a very dramatic conversation with him. I'll never forget it, Dana, the things that he endured. So you're right, but you, so you don't think it's any worse now than it was 20 years ago when I was there? In my opinion, it's the same. Take the example of Falun Gong. You know, they 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 persecuted. It never stopped in the past 20 years, and they put these people in the concentration camp and take their organs uh, to uh-huh. sell. So in the past, they don't even know how to make money that way, and now. They just invite international traveler to do organ transplantation, and then can pull some some people out of a jail, and then just take the organ, murder that person, and sell their organ to profit. I, I know. I I I just I can hardly bear those stories. I know you can't either, because my understanding is they actually do this while people are living, still alive. Uh, they're and, yes. and so why why yes. do they target Falun Gong the way they do? Why is that such a target of hatred or destruction? Okay, Falun Gong is a traditional Chinese meditation and got so popular 
and so quickly, a hundred million people were practicing. At that time, you also almost like you go to any park, you see people practicing Falun Gong. So to um, the CCP did the investigation and found no nothing wrong, but the sheer number scared them. Even many CCP members and high-level officials practicing Falun Gong, and the Communist Party feel insecure. So it's kind of like that, uh, the whole business. And jealousy, too. Yes, well, and they have to destroy, as you said earlier, the communists always have to go in and destroy the history and icons and anything that gives people some identity other than government. So I would think if you say, I did not realize that Falun Gong was so ancient. So that that explains a lot, doesn't it? It gives people a Chinese identity that they don't want them to have. Right, right. And it spread so fast, faster than other practice, because it's a traditional Chinese concept. Mm -hmm. I remember walking in Hong Kong uh, early in the morning running, actually, and uh, going through a park, as you just described, and watching people do the the morning exercises. I guess that was Falun Gong. I didn't at the time know that. Uh, But music playing, yes, Mm -hmm. you're right. In Asia, it was everywhere. I don't know if it still is. Are they able to practice that in Hong Kong now, in the parks? Uh, Yes, yes. in Hong Kong, you still can. How interesting. Well, uh, Dana, this has been very interesting, and I want to once again commend the writing of Epoch Times to my listeners, uh, and uh, that's one of the reasons I ask you this morning, because I, uh, I have just, you know, you guys have done a great job of covering what's happening in this country and also what's happening in China, and as the, the two nations intersect and the dangers ahead, you guys do a great job of that, and you are the senior editor for China News, so I'm sure you're responsible for some of those great writers in your paper so thank you for that, uh, Dana. And I look forward to having more conversations with you in the future, okay? Yeah, thank you. Get on the website, theepochtimes.com, epoch spelled E-P-O-C-H. E- theepochtimes.com. All right, Dr. Dana Chang. Thank you, Dr. Chang. We'll talk to you soon. Sandy Rios in the morning on AFR Talk. The views and opinions expressed in this broadcast may not necessarily reflect those of the American Family Association or American Family Radio.